everybody, this is MG, and I'm Elizabeth Pudwell, and we are Sober Sisters Talk. Welcome. Welcome. So Sober Sisters Talk is a podcast that MG and I do every week. We try to do it every week, and we try to bring to you our experiences working several programs and just share with you what we have come across in our lives. And I like to say, I don't know how to keep anybody else sober but I know what works for me. And that's what we want to encourage people to do in this podcast is to figure out what works for them. And that's where MG and I are a little bit different because I like to tell people what to do and think that I can keep them sober. (laughs) (laughs) But we just invite you to listen. It's fun and it's also really educational. We cry, we laugh, we do a little bit of everything. We have guests, we work the steps. It's great. So stay tuned to the next podcast coming right up. Hey everybody, welcome. It's MG. And I'm Elizabeth Pudwell and we are Sober Sisters Talk. And we're so happy to be back here. It's January 2020 and um, we're going to talk about some sobriety today. And uh, MG always says, because I don't like, I like to say that I can't keep anybody sober. And I like to think that I can. (laughs) And you know, she's done a pretty good job with me, so... And we have a guest here today. I'll let you introduce yourself. Hi, everyone. My name is Shanda. Welcome. We're so glad you're here. I am thrilled to be here. I'm a longtime listener. Well, thank you so much. A listener and a guest. Yes, absolutely. So So our format is just like, you know, uh, MG and I work multiple programs, and we just sort of like to share, you know, what it is that comes up and how we deal with it in a sober way, you know, using the principles of the program to deal with things in our daily lives. And since it's January and that's step one, and we haven't done that yet this year, we thought we'd talk about powerlessness and unmanageability. Mm-hmm. We admitted we are powerless over X, Y, and Whatever. Z. And that our lives have become unmanageable. So why don't you start by telling us, you know, short condensed version of that for you so what it was like and what you did and I came into recovery through the mothership through AA a little bit over five years ago and at that time in my life what unmanageability looked like was drinking alcohol pretty much around the clock pretty much in fact, the day I decided that I had to get help, I woke up around 4.30 and I had wine for breakfast. Wasn't the first time, but that was the first time I thought, I really need help. And what had preceded, um, what had happened the evening before was that I came home from work sometime in the afternoon, early, I don't recall why, and I was drinking. I fell asleep or passed out. <laughs> Probably more like it. I don't think I took a made a decision to go to sleep because I had to pick up my kids from after school program. And the after school program, the last pickup time is six thirty. And I was the only um, adult at that time. My husband was on a business trip. And my sister, who had been living with us for about five years, uh, was away. And while I was asleep, my phone fell on the floor, and it fell under the bed, and it was on silent, and I was passed out. 
So I think I finally woke up at seven o'clock, went to pick my children up. It was dark because it was November and there they were, those two little babies. Um, they weren't babies, they were older. But pretty young. They were very young. Um, I guess five and seven. Old enough that they still remember and they will not let me forget it. They don't, yeah. No, they, they don't do. forget they it. Don't, yeah. They don't forget not being picked up and asking me, now, Mom, what were you doing? In fact, one of them asked me the other day, why were you home sleeping? <laughs> and uh, one day I'll tell them the truth about what happened and it may be one day soon. Uh, we have a lot of discussions about uh, drinking. We have another loved one in our home that uh, is a problem drinker. I make up as a problem drinker. So we've been talking openly and uh, with each other and in therapy, even with our loved one for about a year. So they're about old enough to, in fact, uh, they asked me today like where I was going and what will we be talking about and what are all these meetings that you go to and that so they're all I think their consciousness is becoming aware of this bigger issue and like it's like they they're starting to get it a little bit maybe and curious about it and mm -hmm. shoot you know I've been to AA meetings where they're dragging their kids in you know so I, I've been one of those how old, how old was your daughter when, when you went to jail? Six. Oh, my God. Does she remember it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, because I sent her to Southern California to stay with my sister. So that was her first airplane ride by herself. And, you know, she was a little six. I'm putting her on the airplane by herself. and I'll see you when I see you. It was six weeks. It was uh, right before, it was the day before my birthday that I put her on the airplane and my 40th birthday. And then um, she spent Thanksgiving and Christmas and New Year's in Southern California. Came mm -hmm. home on the 29th. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so these kids remember it. I mean, I'm grateful in a way that, you know, I've just like fucked up my own life and... <laughs> I'm not saying that, that you fucked up these kids' lives. I'm not, please don't, uh, that's not my intention to say that. But, you know, there's a, I think, an extra level of guilt that I would have felt if it were impacting somebody else. Even though it did impact my friendships and, you know, my family. Well, it's interesting, though, too, as a mother, like, looking back, that it has to come to that. Where I have to realize, like, I'm fucking up my kid's life, you know, and that, why isn't it enough way before that, you know? I would agree. All of the major changes that I've made in my life um, in recovery at first were motivated by the consequences that were happening to my children. Mm. So, about six months before I went into AA I had gastric bypass surgery so one of my addictions is sugar sugary foods maybe food in general but I really like to eat and drink together margaritas and fajitas fabulous <laughs> and I moved to Houston in 2003 and every year I would just gain 10 pounds for whatever reason for the food the pregnancies um, and I just 
it would never come off. So I decided to have gastric bypass because I wanted to be around for my kids and I wanted to be able to play around with my kids and be a better parent. And when you have gastric bypass, you are screened for any kind of addictions that you may have to substances, especially alcohol, because it alters your digestion, makes alcohol take effect much more quickly on me. It did, and for an alcoholic, it's great because there's no hangovers the next day. So in those following six months, my drinking really, really escalated very quickly. Mm. And I was told not to drink, and I said I was screened beforehand. Of course, I lied about my drinking behavior and how much I drank. And so that was part of it. It wasn't all of my story, but it was a big part of it, a big contributing factor. I don't regret any of that, of course. Um, and so then when I, when I got sober from alcohol, the same thing. And then when I came into SLAA, a reason was that my secrets might be outed to my children because somebody who I was hurting threatened to do that and that really woke me up that really 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 woke me up and then um, I quit smoking because my kids started imitating me smoking they would take french fries and hold them up like cigarettes yes, <laughs> and say do. look at me I'm mom so, yeah, <laughs> nothing like a wavy mirror in front of your face. Yes, mm -hmm. uh, yes, they are. Did you smoke? Are you a smoker? Mm-hmm. Loved it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So good. <laughs> so bad. So good. So it's bad. It's just so bad. Actually, the first, when I started smoking, I was in college, and it was part of a withdrawal that I was going through. My love of my life at that time in college broke up with me and I didn't know what withdrawal was then. I didn't know what depression was, but I sat on my balcony of my apartment and I didn't really have any friends. I didn't have any friends to speak of because I was so wrapped up in that guy and the one friend I had, she had graduated a semester early and she was gone to school, getting her master's degree far away. And so I drank and chain smoked and listened to Jewel over and over and over again. <laughs> I laugh because I can so identify. Right? right. And I almost didn't graduate. Mm. Really, the only thing that brought me out of it was we got back together about a month later. But before that month, I, I just couldn't function. Yeah. So you've experienced a lot of, I make up a lot of powerlessness in your life. I have. And one of the, and, and I have to make a disclosure that she's my sponsee and I like to brag on her. And you know, she's also very inspiring to me because one of the things that you do is you investigate all resources available to a human being. You have told me things that I never even knew existed. You know, I didn't know what IOP was. I didn't know that they had family of origin group meetings where you could go and in a group setting talk about these issues. 
and you are you know full on with service you sponsor people you uh, you know were the leader of the beach retreat two years ago not last year but the year before and you go to therapy and you take care of yourself and you know I know you don't do all those things perfectly I know that but it's like you are doing the deal and figuring it out and you know there's this book you know women who run with the wolves and there's this thing about like sniffing it out like go sniff it out figure out what it is and you're like my tools sponsee it's like if there is anyone that knows anything about like all the different things it's you and so you've just been really inspiring to me so I'd like for you to list like since you've been in recovery what are some of the things you do you go to meetings Yes, so I am an engineer by training, and engineers like tools. <laughs> so when I got into recovery and I heard about things called tools, I'm like, I'm into tools, yes. Like, where are they? Yes. I've got my toolbox. Let's start filling it up. It was a language I could relate to. So the first thing I did was go into intensive outpatient program here in Houston at the right step. And that was uh, three nights a week. I would go and it was a huge group, a very large group. And that's where I learned to identify feelings, emotions. We got a sheet with a bunch listed on them. <laughs> that was a tool that I carried around and have on hands at all times. It's divided up the top emotions when your needs are being met and the bottom the top third is emotions when your needs are being met and the bottom third or the bottom two thirds is emotions when your needs are not being met. We have a lot more words for yeah. when our needs are not being met, which is good because it gave me a vocabulary mm. and a way to get in touch with myself. And I did that for a couple of months, graduated from that, and then I would go to AA meetings every day for several several months until I went back to work and then I would still go four times a week for a long time then down to three and my employer was involved in my recovery which was a huge level of accountability and a great tool and I had to get my sheet signed so I had to do that and a lot of times I would forget my sheet, so I would have to go back, <laughs> pick it up before it ran off, things like that. Um, you got a sponsor, I remember. Oh yeah, definitely. Uh, someone asked me the other day, how do you get a sponsor? I said, you just look for somebody who has what you want, and you ask them. And that was one of the hardest asks I've ever had to do. A huge tool is asking for help. And even now, five years later, at a, I'm in a situation right now where I need all the help. And I am so thankful and so grateful for my recovery and all of the sober sisters that I have that are just holding me up. Holding me up. And that's why, one of the reasons why, along with guidance from my higher power, who is orchestrating everything to just seeming to go seamlessly that I can have joy and happiness during this time 
It is a true gift. Mm. And I, like you said, I chaired a, co-chaired a beach retreat, which was a wonderful, wonderful experience. It gave me ability to use my, on the, my job skills. Fabulous. Binder. Everything categorized. It was amazing. And it's something that you can hand to another mm-hmm. person and say, here's what you need to do. So it's a transferable thing that you created. And it was, it included budgeting and uh, coordinating and learning a lot. Of, I got to learn a lot about my fellows in terms of what their talents and skills were so that everybody could be of service during the retreat and people could be doing the things that really brought out the best in them. And so everybody everybody shined. It was a really wonderful, it wonderful experience. Good, it was good. Yeah. But then you also worked the steps with your sponsor. Absolutely. Worked the steps. I'm still working the steps with you. <laughs> I started in October. We started our sponsor sponsee relationship. I asked her if she would like to investigate a relationship with me <laughs> when I asked her in October of 2017. Yeah. And here it is. Yeah. A couple years later. Yeah. I'm on step nine and I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. Well, like Elizabeth said, you can sponsor up to step nine. You know, she throws her sponsees out after five. Mm-hmm. Start going to get sponsors. Yeah. Because it makes it, forces you to stay on top of your own stuff. Yes. You know, you can't go to 10 if you haven't done it yourself. Yes. And uh, like you mentioned, I've done, for two and a half years, I've been in a weekly group that addresses family of origin, childhood relational trauma using Pia Melody's model. Um, when I first read her book, I, there's two books, Facing Love Addiction and Facing Codependence, and both of those just seemed like my life yeah. written down mm-hmm. right there. Right. And that has been phenomenal work for me. It has been so empowering, and it's probably, it is the single most factor that has helped me understand my inherent worth and my value, mm-hmm. and to release so much carried shame from my childhood, uh, I grew up with a alcoholic father who passed away when I was 13, unexpectedly, and I didn't realize the impact and how much I had not processed, and I had never felt angry about it until I was able to do this work, and so that's helped me really just reduce the levels of rage that I carried around every day. Mm-hmm. In my life Pushing and it down. Mm-hmm. yes because it always without understanding my past it always comes back to get me right oh there it is again why did I do that again <laughs> get to clean that up yes so that's so and, and then I love groups are so powerful for me because of getting to know the other women that are in the group really intimately and in our in the groups that I'm in we share and then have the opportunity to give feedback and so I've learned about how to give feedback in a in a boundaried way which boundaries especially containing myself 
<laughs> has been a challenge in my life. So I've learned how to give feedback in a boundary way. And then also how to listen in a boundary way, meaning that I used to listen and whatever you said to me, I took as the truth. And now I know I don't have to do that. In fact, I don't do that. There's filters that I need to process that through to see what's true for me or if it's not true, if I need more information or if it's just a boundary violation. So that's been a great tool. That's been so helpful in terms of learning how to respond mm -hmm. instead of react. And so you can totally tell that she's an engineer. Because <laughs> you like, I can see, I wish this was a, a video as well because you can see her thinking before she right, talks. Right, right, right. And I'd like to ask something. I'd like to go back a little bit to that point where you are, you know you need help. And how you transcend that to getting to, um, you know, to getting the help. You know, what happened there and share with our audience, you know, like, wow, you know, it's, I left my kids there, you know. That was not the first time that my kids had been impacted. I regret that I would drive intoxicated with them. One time we went out to eat and I couldn't remember when I got home, I couldn't remember if I had actually like ordered food for them or not. This again was towards the end. Um, but even then, I really didn't recognize it. There was just something about seeing them. So I knew I needed help and my higher power has always taken care of me. One of my best friends who is a licensed chemical dependency counselor. <laughs> she and I had already had a plan that morning to meet up because we were, I was giving her something to give to another friend. And so when I got in her, it was raining. So I got out of my car and got in her vehicle and I told her what happened. And I said, I don't know what to do. Where do we go? Well, she sure knew what to do. <laughs> Angel. And you off we went. Angel. Off we went to the right step. And that's how that happened. And she was there. And I wanted to bolt out of that place. And she stayed with me. And she used her. Just very compassionate. But also I make up her professional skills. <laughs> because the intake took forever. One of the things you have to do is pee for a drug and alcohol test. And my bladder was not doing it. Took me eight hours to be able to produce that. <laughs> so I tried to bolt, and she helped me uh, help keep me there. You know, so wow. that wow. was really amazing. So I think that all of us have those people in our lives that love us, that we know we can reach out to, and we can say, "Hey, listen, I need some help." And I think that was the first thing you did was to ask for help, Shanda. Then when I got to the IOP. What I thought about my... Oh, and tell our listeners what IOP stands for. Intensive outpatient. Mm -hmm. I did not go to... I went for a weekend of detox, and then I did not go to inpatient rehab because I absolutely cannot see being away from my children for 30 days. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We don't have family here in Houston, 
and probably anybody would have come my relatives would have come I just couldn't my brain would not be able to think of that I think we always time. think that like it's not that bad yeah you know? yeah mm-hmm. so I decided to go to intensive outpatient and I was also off of work for a couple of months so I could go to meetings and mm-hmm. work on my steps mm-hmm. while I was there I realized that <laughs> my thank you acting out in sex and love addiction, which I didn't know was a thing at that time, was causing me so much pain. And my mind was obsessed. And I had fantasy, euphoric recall, everything going on. But the pain was really, really great and the withdrawal and I told my counselor at IOP I need help with this I'm going to drink over this I'm positive I will yeah and then she gave me how far along were you in in the program like a couple days weeks a couple weeks yeah okay Mm -hmm. so you hadn't even gone you're not even withdrawn from alcohol yet and you're like going this is another additional problem Mm mm-hmm yeah, because when I was in detox, they took my phone, put it in a safe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we know. Okay, that's how we knew that. Yeah, yeah I can't yes. get your hit from that. Whoa. So I was doing a double detox. It was very, very Were you like difficult. scheming, like trying to use other people's phones and stuff like that? or? Well, we would get a, we were able to use the house phone, <laughs> the landline. <laughs> and I'm, you know, I contacted qualifiers so she gave me the number of someone who has double digit sobriety and SLAA and AA and also is a professional helping people get sober and that pretty much set me on my path yeah yeah well, you've been fearless, my dear, in looking at all of your stuff and, you know, being so very thoughtful about it and so um, thorough, thoughtful and thorough. And, you know, you have a strong connection with your higher power, which I think is also a, a, a big chunk of it because you can turn to that. And I've seen you turn to that to uphold what you're going through. And so. Fast forward five years, and also she's like, she chairs meetings, and she does like, you know, other work in terms of like, you know, um, helping out in the community, and so five years has passed, and you've like gone to yoga teacher training now, and you look amazing, and I love that little photo montage you sent me of four pictures over 10 years, and it was it was amazing to see like your progression around it like you know um, and and I want to talk a little bit about that when you see that picture it's like extraordinary and how did you come up with that idea to like put that together I think it's really important to have ways tools to measure progress Hmm. so for me my physical, outward physical transformation reflects what's happened on the inside. Mm. And I can look back at old pictures of me and just 
look and say, that person was a miserable, miserable person. And what's interesting is that through my yoga practice, my focus on my appearance and what I look like and how other people see me has decreased tremendously. I would have thought, if you look at pictures of me from 10 years ago, my judgment would have been something like, that person doesn't care about what they look like. <laughs> but I cared so much about what I looked like. Because I didn't have, I didn't, I didn't know myself. I didn't know myself. My soul was dead from all of my addictive behaviors. It just killed me, really. Well, you talk, talk and you've told me before too that there was you you didn't have like a, a danger filter like you didn't have feel any like you know fear or like what was going on and I remember that I remember like you know being out in the woods and some potheads trailer and like the guy that I came with said hey listen we're gonna go to the store to get some beer and I'm here with uh, you know this cuckoo man and his crazy dog and it's like who knows what could have happened I have had that same experience <laughs> <laughs> well, we're from Alabama, so well, I think mine was in Louisiana. Oh. <laughs> Been there, yeah, yeah. And it's like I don't know how I, I don't know where I am. I don't know what I would do. We're out in the country, like I don't even. It was like I, like you can't save yourself. No, you can't save yourself there. No, in that situation. And thankfully, nothing happened, and nothing, you know, that serious has happened. There was a situation in California where I was drinking and got into a little bit of a date rape situation, and, you know, I don't, like, um, make myself feel guilty about it, and, like, I should have done something differently. It was just a shitty experience, and it's one of the things that helps keep me sober today, that I'm not going to go home with some guy that I don't even know, so... So one of the things, Shanda, that we do is like um, really like kind of reflect on how the story and the past and the intensity of that recovery, that early recovery, and how we use that today. So one of the things that we like to do is to sort of like, you know, share with our audience how we take everything that we've learned and apply it to to today. Neither MG or I are in withdrawal. Um, you know, we're not in early recovery, but we still have things that come up that trigger us, you know, things that trigger you to like, and, you know, but it's, we react and respond in a different way. So can you share sort of like how, what you have learned, how does it apply today? The biggest triggers that I deal with are around my sex and love addiction. Mm-hmm. By the grace of God, when I got sober in AA, I remember getting down on my knees and begging for the obsession to drink to be taken away from me, and it was lifted like that. Yes, I had uncomfortableness and awkwardness being out in the world without drinking, but I never wanted to drink again. Sex and love addiction was not like that at all. Amen. Not so much. Amen. Not at all. My experience as well. Mine, mine too. I never wanted to drink, but oh my God. 
before I I made two attempts to come in to sobriety around that and the first one I didn't last that long I was never sober actually I was going to meetings I had a sponsor Elizabeth <laughs> who fired been me through both of us <laughs> yes. and with good reason too because I wouldn't stop seeing my qualifiers <laughs> It's like, what's the point of this? When I look back at that and how I, I was doing step work, going to meetings, I was in groups, and I thought to myself, how did I do that? Mm. And I remember when I sort of bottomed out at that point, I was in a group of amazing women. Amazing women who would share so vulnerably, vulnerably and support me and support each other and just friendship like I had never seen and I remember one time we were in group and it was my turn to give feedback or to process something and I didn't know how I felt could not identify an emotion just I had I couldn't even process of elimination I felt nothing and I felt so disconnected and other than and wanting to be a part of what I was seeing and yet I couldn't because I wasn't sober I had secrets I had shame so it wasn't possible to fake my way through something like that and up until that point my friendships hadn't been those kind of friendships they were as good as I could do always had girlfriends and close friends but nothing like that and I totally learned how to love women in SLA yeah. I yeah. I learned how to be honest mm -hmm. share who I really am the whole mess the whole kit and caboodle and receive love anyway so that's when I knew I couldn't do that anymore but when I came back a few years later because I think a lot of people do tried this multiple times <laughs> it's pretty common. many times pretty I don't know if practice, anyone I, I tell my sponsees I don't know if anyone hit wonders in sloth never never I mean I think that's how it is but when I came back um, I had to rely on so much during withdrawal because I was still isolated just learning how to reach out I went to as many women's meetings as I could and I, there were what four or five a week four a week I yeah, was at all four of those here. so lucky right yeah. I did phone meetings every day because the intensity of my pain was unlike anything that I have ever mm. experienced before mm. or since and I just relied so much on my my faith and my higher power and knowing that I would get through it and I would get signposts they talk about that in the basic texts and I would read the withdrawal chapter over and over again and read anything I could get my hands on about love addiction and at literature, that time another tool oh literature is the best literature yeah. literature yeah. and then at that time I thought I only had love addiction and eventually I came to understand that I was also a sex addict through working um, in a group and working workbooks by Patrick Carnes, Facing the Shadow, 
And now I'm in a workbook called Recovery Zone, which is is uh, really interesting because it's teaching me about the interconnections between all of my addictions. Mm. Mm. And I have addictions that I, we can be addicted to feelings. So I was the saddest. Oh, anger. Anger, like that's definitely, I've right. used that. You know? Rage. Mm-hmm. It, just intensity. Whether intensity. I was addicted to intensity, whether it be extreme elation or intense sadness, intense rage, mm-hmm. uh, intense jealousy. Jealousy is a huge issue of mine. Huge problem. You know, addiction is this. If 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 one is good, more is better. <laughs> right. That's what it is. So it's like it, if a little bit of good is good, then I want to be ecstatic. You know, mm-hmm. I want to get, and that's me. I did this. You know, it's exactly like little's good, more's better, you know? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I have to, like, really curtail that and mm-hmm. just be like, a little's good. Right. And, I mean, I also love that phrase that it's like one is too many and zero, you know, and a thousand is not enough. Right. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, that's part of the addiction yeah. addiction as well. And I was just reading in, you know, the basic text where it talks about that we're never satisfied. That's like, you know... Even though, you know, the guy just came over last night. Where know, is he? You, I want to, he's going to come back today. Yeah. Are, are you going to, when is it going to happen again? And if he can't come, <laughs> let me call this guy. Maybe he's available. <laughs> right. You know, I remember when I gave up sugar and somebody had brought in those little tiny mini white cupcakes with frosting on, white frosting from a grocery store in the plastic. And they were, they were on the counter at work. And I had one. And then I went back and got another one, and then another, and that, and I was like, there weren't enough of those to satisfy me, and I got it. I really understood it. I was like, I have to give up sugar. I have to give up this because I can't manage it. Yeah, I don't have I don't have any power right. over that. Right. So so you've got all these amazing tools, and so today when a problem presents itself to you, that's big. Because yeah, that, what's that's the first thing you do? What do you yeah. do? Breathe. Ah, I love that. I always tell Samantha that. Breathe. Remember to breathe. breathe. Then what? And today, through all of my recovery work and my yoga teacher training, oh yeah, it's been huge in helping me understand that who I am today. I can handle anything that comes my way. And a lot of that has to do with the tools I've already mentioned. Everything has to do with my higher power and my wise, sober sisters. And that everything is figure outable. That's a book and a podcast that I've been listening to. Marie Forleo. Yeah. And it is. And what can I do right now? Do the next right thing. Baby steps. Maybe inch steps. And I'm already 
I have everything I need inside of me. Mm. It's inside of me. Mm. And it may not all reveal itself. Right away. But I just trust that. And you reach out for support. You reach out to women. Because if I don't remember these things that I'm saying in a crisis, one of my women will remind me. (laughs) Well, we were just talking about that Mm -hmm. before we started recording, how important it is to memorize Mm -hmm. certain aspects. And if it's a mantra, you know, like, if uh, one one is too much and a thousand is too many, to remember that, like something, you've got to memorize some of this stuff because in the crisis situation, the mind doesn't work right. It does, you're not like, uh, 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 what was that? What, you know, what, what am I supposed to do? I don't remember. I need the directions. You know? What I learned about emergency drills in recovery is that we practice so that when it is a crisis, when it is an emergency, and there does come a time when every day is not an emergency, <laughs> that we remember what to do. And so when I talk to people who say, I'm having a hard time reaching out, I don't want to pick up the phone, I say, just think of it as a fire drill. You're just practicing. So many things that we do, we're practicing. I love that. I used to tell new sponsees, like, you've got, you you have to make this many calls a day. And, you know, you need to do it now so that when you your ass is falling off, when you are triggered and you're panicking, that you have some, and you can just tell them that. My sponsee, my sponsor's making me call you. Yeah. So that I can develop a relationship with you. So that I can call you when I really need you. I don't need you right now, you know, but. Yes, you can have a script. And the other person will know what to do. The real fear around calling other people, we don't know them. And they don't know us. It's not your mom. It's not your sister. It's not your best friend. These are women in program. But and we all need each other. But we all need... No, you cannot survive this thing alone. What's you the first cannot. word of the first we, step? We. 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 It's a group. Well, and I love that you two let you said, I love groups, because I'm, I'm there with you all the way. I love groups. I love connecting with women. I love... You know, I had a... I have groups all over the place. I do too. I have multiple groups and circles. Well, addiction is such a solitary thing, and I think you touched on it briefly when you were talking about being in college and that you really didn't have those systems of support. And then, you know, when the love, when you started going through withdrawal, it was just too painful. You picked up another addiction. Yeah. 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 I was completely, completely alone. One thing I wanted to say that I learned this past year about powerlessness is that I know over my addictions I'm powerless and I've proved that to myself time and time again and yet even knowing that I feel totally empowered Mm. to make choices because Mm -hmm. at any given moment what I have now that I didn't have before recovery was choice Mm-hmm. So I have a choice whether or not to respond a particular way to a trigger. Right. And actually, through my the workbook I mentioned before, the Patrick Carnes workbook, what I learned about myself was that from the time that there's even a trigger or even a minuscule thought about acting out in my head, 
to the point where it would actually happen, there are many choices that I have to make. You can Whether, stop yourself all the way down to the, your, you know. There are so many times to back out, turn yep. around, make another decision. You do not owe that other person anything. It doesn't matter what they think of you. You can mm -hmm. back out. You can stop it at any time. And I didn't know that before. Yeah. I always put the guy's feelings before mine. His effort. He there, flew here. He drove here. Uh -huh. He's on his way i can't do this now he wants it he expects it yes i culture cultural mm -hmm. expectations family of origin family of tapes. origin tapes old tapes right. all of those things and so uh the other tool that's really empowered me so much is understanding that the words that i speak create mm. So, wow. I learned that the words that I speak, I thought I was describing when actually I was creating. Manifesting. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, now I realize why it's so important to come to meetings. And I'm not going to waste my share talking about, you know, he did this or he did that or what he, 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 anything. It's the empowerment part of it. Right. And so choice and knowing that my words create have really prepared me for what I'm facing right now. Well, I love that phrase. You may be, I may be powerless, but I'm not helpless. Right. Mm -hmm. I always, I mean, my whole story is from powerless to empowered. You know, that's what yeah. recovery has yeah, given yeah, yeah. me. It's just made me an empowered woman. You are so, I mean, it's just. I'm so proud of you. You've done such a good job <laughs> taking care of yourself and growing up. And it's really beautiful. It to is behold. a beautiful experience. It's beautiful to watch and be a part of. Thank you. Thanks Thank for coming. You. Thanks for Thank sharing. Thank you for being on our little podcast. We appreciate it. And this is episode fifty-eight. Is it you, really? If you can imagine. Oh, we're almost to sixty. That's awesome. Right. And we've had over nineteen thousand listens. It helps a lot for you to like and subscribe and share. Um, that's how we get listeners and how that's how we stay alive here for you so that we can keep recording. Thank you so much, Shanda. Thank you. Thank you, listeners. Thank Until you. next time. So if you want to get in touch with us, please send us an email at SoberSistersTalk at gmail.com. Or you can check out our other episodes at www.SoberSistersTalk.com. And we're also on Facebook. We have a Facebook page, and there you, we have them all lined up. You can see them. You can get a little description. You can share it. Don't forget to like and subscribe. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time, bye.